Before we dive in, I want to let you know that my pediatric food allergy course, Fear to Freedom, is officially open for enrollment right now on emilynolan.com. One more thing before I jump in, I'm a mama, not a doctor. So the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a qualified medical professional. Any questions you may have concerning the diagnosis or treatment of a medical condition should be directed to your doctor or another qualified healthcare provider. You know, to me as a complimentary provider, the the best thing that I can do to support a child like that is to help them to be present and consenting and feel empowered in that conversation and in that journey. And that expression happens on a body level, but it's such a spiritual thing to say, this is your space and I can't take that from you. Grace Gannell is a licensed acupuncturist in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. She has a master's in acupuncture from the Maryland University of Integrative Health. She holds a certificate in zero balancing from the International Alliance of Healthcare Educators and is also a certified AcuDetox specialist through the National Acupuncture Detoxification Association. I'm so excited to have Grace Gannell here with us today to talk about complementary care for our food allergy children. Grace, it's so nice to have you on the show. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. So cliff notes real quick, acupuncture. My favorite thing that you've ever said about acupuncture is, and what really made sense is acupuncture is a way to optimize what you already have. The lifestyle and diet Changes are the things that you need to make and you need to control. You have full control and agency over. And then acupuncture supports those decisions. And I thought, man, that really makes sense. When I was trying to get pregnant, I was over-exercising. I was, you know, under-eating and nourishing my body. And and then I was using acupuncture because everyone says acupuncture helps you get pregnant. Well, over the course of acupuncture, I started eating more and nourishing my body and um, exercising less just to kind of create more ease in my body and really wasn't aware of what I'm talking about now in this season of the podcast. And so I just thought, you know, that is such an easy way to understand, do I need acupuncture right now, you know, or do I need a lifestyle change and make some shifts to create an environment or a more nourishing diet or a you know, a less stressful lifestyle to support my well-being and my child's well-being, right? So we really have to think about that stuff first. Yeah. And sometimes acupuncture can help to support you to make those decisions and to stick by them, you know, especially if there are beliefs about the self that are showing up that are maladaptive and, and getting in the way of that self-care, right? So that definitely is uh, a huge part of what I do. And a large part of the reason why I love to you know, work with people who are willing to work with mental health professionals and willing to sort of explore why they might not be giving themselves that nourishment and that care. And again, it's complimentary, right? The acupuncture isn't going to replace therapy. It's not going to stand in place of cognitive behavioral therapy. If that's something that you really need, I, I really encourage people to seek that out as well. Or nutritional advice. You know, I, I have a little bit of allopathic nutritional training from my master's degree. 
the majority of my training is actually around Chinese medicine and its nutrition. But actually, I'm, I lean towards teaching my clients to listen to their bodies and do the things that feel best. If I tell them, if you're drinking coffee, I can't help you. That's not really very adaptive in that relationship. Right. So I, I try to have a conversation with somebody where it's more pay attention to how you feel when you drink the coffee, pay attention to how you feel when you drink this much coffee versus that much coffee. And then you're making the decision. But that's the way that I'll try to have that conversation and not not to say, hey, you shouldn't eat spicy food. That's bad for your body. I, I might have a suspicion that for that person, spicy food might exacerbate some of their symptoms, you know, like rashes. It might exacerbate some of their symptoms, but I'm not just going to outright tell them don't eat spicy food because it's like a surefire way <laughs> to cause them to restrict it so much that then they have to eat a ton of it because they've felt so restricted. Um, so I've seen that kind of behavior a lot. And I try to be very gentle with my lifestyle recommendations uh, because a lot of the time, you know, in the West, people aren't looking for lifestyle recommendations. They're looking for a Band-Aid. Uh, so I do my best to sort of bridge that gap. And if we need to give them a Band-Aid so they develop rapport, so maybe they'll start to, like you said, make those shifts without even realizing it, that's probably the way to do it. I love Seed's PDS08 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic, and you probably already know that if you're following me on social media. I mix it with my son's daily multivitamin every morning in a beautiful espresso cup when I can to show him that self-care is a beautiful daily ritual. Also, because it contains the dual-phase prebiotic made of short and long-chain carbohydrates, it does take an extra moment to dissolve. This easy-to-use and sustainably packaged symbiotic, meaning it's a two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic powder is formulated for benefits in and beyond the gut. It's the first children's symbiotic with nine probiotic strains clinically studied in a pediatric population for benefits across digestive, respiratory, and dermatological health. The pediatric daily symbiotic also supports easy, frequent poops, which happens to be my son's favorite topic. PDSO8 even bridges the fiber gap with five grams of fiber per serving. It's a meaningful complement to a healthy diet. Also, it's reassuring to know that the product is free from sugar, artificial colors, flavors, flow agents, binders, preservatives, and if you're listening to this podcast, and likely most important to you, free of 14 classes of allergens. Seed is offering my listeners a 20% code towards your first month. Just head to seed.com backslash Emily Nolan and use the code EMILYN20 to get 20% off your first month today. In the last treatment that we had, or one of the last ones, you did a um, clearing and you taught me how to do a Wei Qi clearing, which is a foundational movement in Qigong. It's a medical form of mindful movement from Chinese culture, the name which translates into energy work. So I want to talk about that because we started to do that because I asked you a question um, and I wanted to know is there anything that we can do to help protect our bodies preventatively as opposed to reactively treating our bodies? Because, you know, we do have uh, inflammation, we do have imbalances. And you 
talk to me about Wei Qi and how it kind of creates this armor around our body. So can you talk to me about what Wei Qi is or Wei Qi clearing or even what is Qi Gong, right? We've we've heard what Qi Gong is, but what is it really for the person who's never been introduced to it? And how can it protect our bodies, especially with COVID and all the viruses going around? We just want to be as protected and strong as possible. And I love the way that you talk about our upright energy or whatever it is. So let's just dive into that. Yeah, Jung Chi, upright Chi. So Wei Chi is a really important aspect of immunity in Chinese medical theory. People who talk about an aura, Wei Chi might be a way of thinking about aura. It's something that originates within and underneath the skin, but extends beyond the body. So it's the same way that, you know, if you're in a cold body of water, your body heats up the water around you. And so if you stay still, you can be very comfortable. And then if you shift, then you'll be like, oh, it's cold over there, right? So that's that's the Wei Qi in Chinese medicine theory, sort of expanding beyond the body and saying, mm, this is the zone that I have control over that's outside of myself. And that it takes some energy to do that, right? To be able to push out and away. Um, sometimes we'll have underactive Wei Qi where it's a very thin layer that's not really effective enough. And, you know, we'll have folks who are more prone to getting sick. And sometimes we'll have almost overactive Wei Qi uh, that gets so forcefully pushing out that you have a lot of those symptoms like skin rashes to the smallest thing, you know, a lot of the sort of allergy responses. But in that case, it's still maladaptive and it's kind of unsustainable long-term because it does take a lot of energy to do that, right? Um, And so you might still have someone who is sickly, but has this sort of unsustainable excess Wei Qi activity um, because it can't do that 24-7. There's going to be a lull at some point. The idea of upright Qi that we were talking about, that includes Wei Qi, but it also includes a couple of other kinds of Qi. Um, And this is back to channel physiology in Chinese medicine. So there are kinds of Qi that actually run inside the channels. That's nutritive Qi. And then there's a kind of Qi that you come into the universe with that you get from your parents, that's called original chi. And then there's wei chi. And these three things together form upright chi, which in total give us the capacity to be well effectively. But all of these kinds of chi are informed by your original chi and generated thanks to just a drop a day, ideally, of your original chi, which is sort of constitutional in nature. What you come into the world with, do you have a particular constitution, one or the other, right? All three of these kinds of chi that form upright chi can be managed with qigong and with acupuncture and with herbs. And qigong is just one way to do that that's relatively non-invasive and that clients can do on their own. I like to talk about qigong like it's sort of Tai Chi's grandpa. It's sort of the fastest way to describe it because it is older than Tai Chi. Um, and it has a slightly different purpose than Tai Chi, but they look similar to the untrained eye. You're moving slowly. You're standing in a very particular way and doing very particular movements that are intended to do something in the body. So in Tai Chi, this might be with the goal of cultivating enough Chi to fight somebody, ultimately. Whereas in Qigong, this is with the goal to cultivate Chi for health. And there are some movements, as you said, that are clearing, and there are some movements that are building, and there are some movements that are grounding. 
There's, for example, a particular Qigong called the Pearl that teaches the eight movements of Qi. And so you're just learning how to move Qi one way or the other. There's gathering and raising and pushing and pulling, expanding, contracting, lowering, dispersing. That's the whole series. So in order to be an acupuncturist, you have to know all the different ways that Qi can move. And cultivate that in yourself so that you can cultivate that with a needle in somebody else. But the same functions can then be done by the client on their own time. Um, so there are actually programs that you can, you can become certified in medical Qigong and you can then go forth into the world. And that's the way that you practice. There's a lot of people that that's what they do. And that's all they do. Um, but most acupuncturists have some training in Qigong, I hope. At least my school did a really good job of making sure that we did some Qigong Again, because in order to needle, we have to be able to understand how to move qi. I think that that is so neat. Now, qigong is, you know, we did the the foundational move, which is wei qi, correct? Yeah, wu qi means um, like doing without doing. Wu wei is doing without doing comes from Taoism. A lot of these practices come from Taoist tradition and, and beliefs. So in Taoism, you know, less is more as sort of a central be like water, right, is a lot of the, the way that they talk about how to be. And so the way that we do Qigong is from this place of doing less. So you're standing using as little energy as you can, because if you're going to build Qi, you don't want to be just using it up immediately to stay in that posture, right? Um, everything starts from Wu Qi posture. And then what I went on to teach you is it's important often before we cultivate to begin by clearing, particularly if you're going to be touching the body, because if you have any sort of energetic gunk on your hands, you don't want to spread that around. Uh, I mean, so fascinating. And just everyone listening, put a pin and doing less, just do less. I feel so light and and relieved to know that I can do less and I don't have to energetically try to keep up with everything else going on and that I can protect my energy by doing less, cultivate my well-being by doing less, and ellipses, my child. So how often do we overschedule and stress, you know, the, the physiological stress that our children have in their lives, especially during a pandemic, right? It's so high. So how little can we do and how intentional can the things we do be? Really curious. You've also mentioned this in one of our sessions. I was saying, oh, you know, uh, my body and my mind and this and that. And you're like, well, actually, in Chinese medicine, your mind and body and your spirit are all one. Tell me more about that. You know, we constantly think that, oh, I need a therapist for my mind and my physical body is completely separate. Uh, how do they merge in terms of complementary care and, and what you practice? Um, I, I try to say Asian medicine. I think that's a little less <laughs> difficult. Body, mind, spirit. There's actually um, a phrase, like just a pair of words that are used to describe the whole person. So instead of saying the person, often when you're reading, you know, ancient Chinese medical texts, they say Jing Shen. What is that? Jing is essence. It's what I was talking about that informs your constitution that you get from your, your parents. So it is what forms an embryo is Jing. And it goes on 
to form a lot of important structures and processes in the body later. Essentially, it's structure, the essence, the most substantial of what you are. And what is Shen? Shen is spirit, roughly. So it's the other side of that. It's the flip side of the coin. It is it is more yang. It's more ethereal. Jing is the yin. Shen is the yang. You have your essence and you have your spirit. And that makes a person, not that they have a body, not that they have a mind, not that they're capable of speaking, not that they're breathing, but those two things together. And actually the name of my business is based upon Jing, Shen, and Qi, which together are the three treasures that we cultivate because if a person has no Qi, then they're dead. (laughs) Actually in Chinese, that's the way that death is described. What happened to so-and-so, they have no Qi, is what it would translate as, not not just death. So those three things make up the whole person, the, the energy, the spirit, and the substance. When you think of a food allergy child, you know, you really just think of the structure and to think of the the ethereal body, the spirit of that child and how everything affects everything. It's all interconnected. And even though you can't see certain things and touch them physically, it's still there. And that's why I believe that incorporating complementary care in the therapy treatments for food allergy children is important if you have the privilege and access. And, you know, the the presence of the symptoms on a physical level is never separated from the experience that that child is having in that moment, right? When, when Ollie is doing a challenge and eating a peanut, we don't know what's going on for him internally. You know, he can express what he can express, but he's the beginner at that. We all are, but particularly when we're three, we're a beginner at that. And I think every time you do something so brave as that, there has to be a struggle emotionally and spiritually against your previous experience. You know, so, so much credit for these brave little warriors who are fighting for their own food freedom and whatever that might mean for them. You know, to me as a complimentary provider, the, the best thing that I can do to support a child like that is to help them to be present and consenting and feel empowered in that conversation and in that journey. And that is a spirit level conversation. It begins with the body, as you pointed out, that every time I touch a child, I get their consent. And if I don't have their consent, I don't touch them. And that expression happens on a body level, but it's such it's such a, a spiritual thing to say, this is your space and I can't take that from you. Especially when they've had so many scary things where everybody had to save their life in a mass and and have this big response. There have been times that their autonomy wasn't their own. Absolutely. I'm finishing reading the second time The Body Keeps a Score and it's just so incredible to hear people's stories adult stories of their childhood of overcoming trauma and their trauma in the book is usually sexual trauma or domestic violence. And there is trauma outside of that too. And that is the trauma of surviving deathly reaction and anaphylactic reaction. And, you know, my son knows what's going on and he gets scared, you know, and then he picks up on my fear and my husband's fear and 
one of the main reasons I've started this program is because I want parents to feel confident and, and understand what's going on so that their child can mimic that confidence and calm themselves in times of stress and learn all of those techniques that we practice every day and when we go see people like yourself for complimentary care. Which leads me to the next question. What complimentary care, if somebody had to pick one, what would you say is the most effective in treating a child with food allergies? I think it depends on what you're hoping to achieve. So if you are really concerned about your child's emotional response to what they're going through, I think it's really important to have a child psychologist in your corner. I think that if your child is very emotionally sensitive or otherwise, I would say like neurodivergent, both a psychologist and an acupuncturist could be a great fit for that child um, because we as acupuncturists have a lot of understanding of individual variation and um, understanding of how, again, that balance of reactivity and, you know, feeling in control on a spirit and, and mental level. I think if you are really focused on the physical side and you're really concerned for your child's safety, you know, an allergist is going to obviously be your first stop. They are all complimentary. Ideally, we're all working together on this. You know, you've got your pediatrician and you've got your allergist and you've got your psychologist and so on and so forth. All of these modalities are, are working together to support you and your child. Now, let me ask you a question about the psychologist. So we don't have a child psychologist, although I feel like one right now. <laughs> I'm the in-house child psychologist. <laughs> and sometimes it makes me so nutty that I need my own psychologist. <laughs> so most people find out their children have food allergies when they're like seven months old. Would you say even a three-year-old could go to a child psychologist or would you say maybe a five-year-old, like what's, is that over-investing to go at such a young age, you know? I think if you're observing behaviors in your child that suggest that they're suffering emotionally, regardless of their age, I think it's appropriate to at least seek out and ask if, if they might need some care. Um, I actually used to, I did an internship when I was working on my bachelor's in psychology uh, where I worked with children who were being abused and their non-offending family members. It was a grant-based office, so we were providing free care to those those family members and those kids. And we had little kids, and we had older kids. We had the whole the whole gamut. And watching those kids play was really informative because you could see them processing what they were going through, whatever it might be. And that is such a healthy behavior. If you're seeing your child playing in a way that they're clearly rehearsing things that they've been through around their allergies or around anything else that you might consider could be a little traumatic for them in their history, it's worth getting them assessed and making sure that that play is representing a complete processing um, rather than something that's incomplete and needs a little bit of attention uh, because a child psychiatrist or psychologist can help them to sort of complete that cycle, um, particularly if you see the same things over and over and over again. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I just have a bachelor's degree. It's not a master's degree. I'm, you know, a psychologist is actually a, a PhD or a PsyD. I am not that. 
but I, I know just enough to know that if you're seeing some of that kind of behavior, it might be worth just reaching out and asking if your child might need to be assessed and if they would benefit from a little bit of play therapy or something along those lines. Absolutely. I know a lot of parents of children with food allergies when their children do reach food freedom and they're no longer identified as the kid with food allergies, the children struggle with their identity. Who am I now? I've always been the kid with food allergies. And so I haven't had that process yet. I'm trying to learn from that process and have Ollie not identify as the child with food allergies and make it as little a thing as possible. The way that I'm able to do that is by establishing my confidence level of education, staying on top of all the things that I can control, the 70% of the lifestyle environment and diet that we can, you know, affect and change um, to lower their physiological stress and turn on those health promoting genes. You know, so I'm trying to learn from these parents who have gone ahead and said, man, we really lived in fear and control and instilled that fear and control mindset in our child. And I just feel like I want to be as prepared as possible so that Ollie can just be free to fly. When he came in for treatment, it was honestly the only time I've ever seen him lay still and relax with his hips open for 30 minutes without an iPad, without a lollipop, without a television show in front of him. And this is a three-year-old. And when we left, he said, mom, that was so relaxing. So I just felt like it was such a gift to show him that he can do that. And if I can continue to create those moments, you know, it's just so important to teach our children that it's safe to take ownership of their body and rest and restore themselves and protect their energy. There's so much to, to mine there and with children, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Grace, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and talk with us about complimentary care for our food allergy children. How can my listeners find you and ask you questions? Sure. So I think the best way to find me is my website, threetreasureswellness.com. That's the word three. It's all spelled out and treasures is pluralized. And you can follow me on Instagram at three treasures wellness, same spelling through my website. You can contact me via email, via my contact form. You can join my newsletter listing um, and you can read all sorts of blog posts about Chinese medicine dorkery that I've been writing about for years. Great. And if you're in the DC area, Grace is here and she is practicing, although she will be off for a couple months. Um, and thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been wonderful to, to chat with you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to learn about all this stuff that I can talk about for ages. Thanks for listening today. If you're not ready to get started with Fear to Freedom, my pediatric food allergy course, I do have a pediatric food allergy essentials resource with a ton, I mean a ton of incredible resources to get you started on your food allergy journey and healing your child with food allergies. You can download that right now on emilynolan.com and get started. 
If there's anything in this episode that resonated with you or led you to take action, I'd love for you to share it with me on social, as well as any other friends and family that have children with food allergies or newborn children who may not have food allergies, but you know, may have the possibility to prevent it with this information. Remember to rate and review this podcast. It's a great way to give other parents of food allergy children some much needed hope and encouragement. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. I am so grateful for all of your voices and support and love. And I'm just sending you all a great big hug. Thank you.